are back with the proletariat lyric. We took last week off. Um, everyone was going through a little moment. We took some rest. Everyone did some self-care. Um, we're all remembering what it's like to be human and not just an organizing robot again, or at least I am. Um, yes, how are you feeling, DQ, this week? I'm good, thanks. I'm pretty... Uh... I nursed my injuries so I didn't have to wear the... What's the tape called? Is it the Kinesi? Kinesi tape. Kinesi tape. I didn't have yeah. to wear any last week during the show because I actually healed myself and did some self, self-care. self So now I can do this, uh, this episode uh, fully healed. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I feel like a lot of our comrades that are going through shit and I am too, but it's just like the base level shit. So I'm thankful right now to be useful to people who really need the support. Um, how about you? Our run in for the week, Ariadne. I'm 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 doing pretty all right, pretty all right uh, this week. I think uh, I'm glad you're not injured anymore, DQ. It's always important to rest and recover. Thank you. Um, yeah. What about you, Zach? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Like, exhausted from WrestleMania week. I didn't watch WrestleMania, but <laughs> I uh, watched a lot of the indie shows that were happening. And I'm currently, to plug our Patreon, writing on a report on the shows I watched and just the, the vibes I got and the highlights and whatnot. But I'm not doing good. It's Fish fries are still going on, so my Fridays are doing good. I'm planning a Mayday picnic. That's exciting. Uh, Still doing trivia. It's going pretty well. Works fine. So, how are you, CB? I'm doing pretty great for asking. Uh, oh, wait. <laughs> I'm doing pretty great. Thanks for asking. There we go. Uh, obviously not doing that great because I can't talk anymore. Um, it. I was also tired last week, and, and I'm still coming out of it. Um, I turned 40 a couple weeks ago, too. Yeah. That was a thing. I uh, got to hang out with some LA comrades, including some of my co-hosts. So that was cool, um, and I'm just happy to be here. It was really good to see you the other week. Uh, for everyone else who was not able to make it, CB is a great hugger. That was excellent. It also reminded me that it's our one of our LA comrades here. Here's birthday this week too. Um, so happy birthday, Zach. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling pretty good this week. I'm starting to feel a little bit better. Um, I'm excited. We're, some of us are going to go out this weekend and help out with um, some mutual aid work uh, with some of the unhoused people out in the Valley with a congressional candidate here, Shervin Azami, who I'm pretty excited about. Um, so that'll be cool. I'm glad to be off of Zoom and doing real organizing and not just in endless meetings. I was going to also give a shout out to our comrade Austin, who has been healing and uh, he feels like he's getting ready to get back into the swing of things. He said maybe next week and hopefully he'll be back on the podcast. But as always, I love you, brother, and I hope you're enjoying wherever you are right now in undisclosed location. Part Unless you have the Patreon to his other podcast, then you know where he is. But <laughs> so wherever you are right now sounded extremely ominous there. <laughs> Yeah. Where, yeah. Wherever Austin is, we don't, we don't know. Yeah. Well, I do. <laughs> All right. 
It was a nice plug for <laughs> his right, other Sean. podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we usually uh, ask our guests what got you into wrestling, but since Ariadne, this is really one of your first wrestles. Um, uh, and we brought you here to talk about baseball a little bit too and some of the correlation there. What got you into baseball? How did you start watching baseball? Who's your team? All of that stuff. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, so when I was when I was young, I did watch wrestling for a little while. Like, you know, in, you know, like the late 90s, early 2000s, like it was having a big moment, right? Like um, a lot of my friends in like middle school were into it. Um, I was, well, I say I did not have a lot of friends in middle school, to be honest. I mean, like, middle school was way worse than high school. But, um, so, you know, I, w I watched it a little bit then, like, in the, you know, in, like, the sort of, like, you know, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin era, right? Like, <clears throat> so I have a little bit of, you know, like, nostalgia and, like, feeling for it. Um, but like I'm a much bigger baseball fan, I would say. So, I mean, I think I, uh, you know, like my, uh, you know, like my my mother in particular was a huge is a huge baseball fan, and so she, you know, she was like taking me to Tigers games in Detroit, you know, when I was like really really young. Um, so and now I live in Los Angeles. Uh, so I have two teams. I have an East Coast, or, you know, I have like an American League team and a National League team, um, and I'm a Dodgers fan, uh, and so I root for the Dodgers every year. And you know, um, the Tigers have been kind of suffering for a little while. They're they're rebuilding. They're rebuilding. They'll be. They've got a lot of a lot of strong players this year, but the Dodgers are, you know, pretty pretty dominant right now. So it'll it'll be it'll be fun this season because baseball's happening <laughs> it's actually happening i'm excited i'm going to um opening day for the dodgers and i feel like some of what i like about baseball not knowing much about baseball at all is the same as what i like about wrestling is like everyone buying into the thing and and having like this big emotion all at the same time um yeah the I, yeah the crowd experience yeah exactly I'm just going to say, as a resident San Diego Padres fan, to <laughs> fuck the Dodgers. Thank you very much. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, okay. Is the podcast splitting? We just took a week off. Now. <laughs> I mean, I, see, I'm not mad about Like, Padres fans have to be mad about the Dodgers. I, I, you know, as a Dodger fan, I don't have to be mad about the Padres. It's like the John Hamm meme. Uh, yeah. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> In fairness, I do think about Fernando Tatis Jr. sometimes. Yeah. I'm thinking about my journey to baseball because, like, being a Pittsburgh fan, born in 1992, not being able to see a winning season until uh, oh, yeah. 2013. It's like so, being a Lions fan. I, what? It's like being a Lions fan. It's like being a Lions fan. It's like, it's very hard. Like Pittsburgh, like, culturally, it's very interesting where the Pirates, it's just, the city is a baseball town deep down. Like, no matter how much the, and, like, the Steelers and Penguins, it feels, like, very hubris, like, a very Fostian bargain where the Steelers and 
Penguins can be really good and win championships, but at the cost of the Pirates not winning anything. <laughs> but I think like my experience, like being a baseball fan, is just from my father always like getting me into the Pirates, going to Three Rivers, which was a shitty arena, a shitty park, and then PNC. But also playing baseball, I liked playing baseball. It was like the one sport I was good at until they started throwing faster and I got afraid to get hit by the ball. And uh, I think what really broke me on baseball is playing it was uh, this uh, playoff, like my one or second playoff game, we were down two runs, top of the ninth, like two outs. I batted somebody and hit a double, got someone in. Then I got in home, I, I scored a time run. I did like a standing score in the double run. I like stepped on home plate. And I get in the dugout. And my dad, who's not a coach, mind you, but he's in the dugout for some reason, tells me to get back in there and slide. And by the time that happened, the catcher had the ball. And he, he tagged me out, and I was out, and the game was over. Oh, my God. And I, <laughs> that ref was, like, happy I didn't have the bat with me. I was really <laughs> mad. Oh, man. I was, like, 10. It's a ball ball out. after that. But it was... Uh, Amazing. Yeah. I When I was playing t-ball as a very small child, um, I like caught, you know, like picked up a ground ball. I remember picking up a, this is like the only thing I remember about playing t-ball is I picked up a ground ball and then every other kid on my team in the, in the infield and the outfield dog piled me because they were all trying to get the ball. And we're all little kids, and so we're all just chasing the ball. And so, like, three different kids make no distinction about whether or not another player already has the ball, because we're all, like, four. And this is, like, one of my enduring memories of playing baseball as a child. This is just getting dogpiled by everyone. And then, you know, like, eventually, all the kids get pulled off of me, and some adult helps me up. And I'm just, like, you know, like, Looney Tunes, like, stars and birds circling over my head knock me sideways yeah my other enduring memory was the game before that was uh catching a fly ball like this was a good play by me i catch ball ball and i like i'm an outfielder i catch it deep far and a guy on third base and i just immediately throw it to home plate and a guy i freeze him on third but in the process when i caught that ball i like had to crouch down and the crotch of my pants split <laughs> As like, which was unfortunate, like, but it wasn't like, I mean, I made a really good play, so I can't really that upset about that, but. Uh, That's just a, some sacrifices need to be made. <laughs> sacrifices do, really. Yeah, like, I was a really good outfielder. I had like, because I really based my performance on like Roberto Clemente, to give a shout out to Austin, the Puerto Rican excellence, the great one, the great one of the greatest baseball players of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I know, like I said, very little about actual baseball. Um, but I, I know my mom was like obsessed with Roberto Clemente. And like that was like the big thing for her when because her and her parents were immigrants um, and they moved out to New York. And that the union that my granddad worked at at the time used to give them one time a year they could go to see a Yankees game. And so like that was like the thing also for them was like that just like really symbolized like being in America for them and being able to like be part of um, culture here almost and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, baseball, you know, like baseball's really, um, 
you know, it's like really good for bringing, bringing people together. You know, you've got both in person with this big crowd experience, you know, like, you know, the feeling of being in a stadium or being at, you know, uh, being in a, an arena for a wrestling match, right? Like everybody's there for the thing, you know, like the dynamics are a little bit different with individual matches versus a team sport, but you know, the, the impulse of like everyone being here for this thing, being totally bought into the premise of like this game that we're gonna play, that some people are gonna play and we're gonna watch and cheer them on. Um, it's really compelling, you know, like, uh, like a lot of people, you know, like some people like baseball writers call baseball, you know, going to a baseball game, going to church. Right. Um, but I think it's a thing that play that like comes from players too, you know, like, and that's kind of where it comes from is like, it feels, you know, sacred in this, in this particular kind of way. And especially thinking about how the players are involved in that sort of experience themselves too and like thinking about the treatment of um players i guess and the way i know especially in wrestling whether it's been unionization attempts or like when i think especially about a lot of the injuries people have had um and the promotions kind of ignoring it and not really helping out the people who are really selling the show for them and selling the feeling yeah, sorry. I just saw CB was on stack. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's all right. Uh, I just wanted uh, we moved on, so I'll just say I can count backwards. <laughs> time, no, that's fine. Um, so, but getting on to the current topic, uh, prayers up for the legit Layla Hirsch, uh, who apparently may have injured her knee uh, today, probably an ACL tear. Um, but big prayers up, and uh, yeah. I mean the you know I mean like there, there's definitely like I don't know parallels to, to draw here like there was a net you know there was a 99 day lockout um, by the major league owners by the team owners and the league of the players um, so it wasn't a strike, it was a lockout. And, you know, there's a there's a difference there, right? Like it's a capital strike. They're withholding, you know, the ability of the players to play because they're refusing to agree to a new contract. It's thankfully settled. So we get to have baseball um, again, uh, you know, but like the players won, like they have collective bargaining, you know, they have, they, they have a union and they can bargain for a contract. And some of the things that they were bargaining for you know, are for the lowest, you know, like the new players, the guys who are being paid league minimums, you know, like minimum salaries are going up uh, by like a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, there's like arbitration rules around bonuses. Um, and, you know, like it, it sort of, sh you know, it shows that like there's, there's power when athletes act collectively. Um, and at the same time, you know, like these are, some of these people are very wealthy and very, you know, sort of powerful in their own right. Uh, but they're up against even wealthier and more powerful baseball, baseball team owners who are almost, I think, universally billionaires or hedge funds that are representatives of billionaires. You know, and you see like in, in wrestling, you know, like people, I think there, <clears throat> there was like a lockout at some point, right? Um, 
I remember something about that. Uh, but, you know, like people don't have, um, you know, like don't have this collective power to sort of negotiate for better injury compensation, more research into those things, you know, like there are surgeries named after baseball players, which isn't necessarily desirable, right? But like, there's a specialized kind of injury that happens at, you know, professional levels of the sport. And there's enough force behind it and organization and, and you know, money behind it to, you know, do specialized medical research and treatment of that. You know, whereas like, you know, I've heard so many like horror stories, right, of like wrestlers, you know, being like destitute after retirement, you know, after being forced to retire and they wrestled maybe too long anyway. Yeah, and like, it's interesting two things I was thinking about as you were talking was like, one thing that I see a lot of like wrestling fans talk about, um, especially when it comes to players unionizing and stuff is like, oh, well, they make enough money already. Like they're already getting paid so much. It's like, well, they might be, but then what about everyone else in the promotion who's lower down? Or like, what about the actual healthcare and stuff like that? Of that of it and like care for them after they've retired um or like maybe are like starting to like fade out and they're like dealing with these like long-term brain injuries and stuff like that yeah i'm thinking like a lot of the uh especially like the top wrestlers that retire like their safety net is going to conventions and being the sad like you see like virgil like uh infamously like he'll be at like shows and they'll just have his like table whole table at shows he's not even booked at and just like <laughs> sign autographs and get money from people but it's like it's because it's like there's no safety net for wrestlers a lot like there's groups like i think uh dq brought up during our watch along the uh cauliflower ear club i think it's is that it's the a cauliflower alley club yeah yeah that's yeah, because I'm thinking cauliflower year, but uh, I think that yeah, it's named after that. Yeah. yeah, but that's only so much. And like, I know WWE sometimes depends on how they feel about the wrestler. Sometimes they, if they don't like that, if Vince doesn't like that wrestler, he can he'll just like yeah, I won't give anything to them. But it's like he's got so much power. Yeah, too much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, wait. I mean, way too much from just what I you know, kind of as a, more as an outside observer, but like culturally it sort of surfaces that like this guy is like the dictator of wrestling and he acts like it. That's like kind of the impression. Yeah, we were also talking uh, earlier about um, Tammy Lynn Stitch, uh, also known as Sunny. Um, and, you know, she has had numerous drug problems and running into with the law. And it seems like possibly because she was just a manager uh, during her WWE run and ECW runs that she doesn't really get as much care or concern, um, possibly, just from the outside looking in. Um, and uh, I think it was DQ also earlier who said, you know, DDP, uh, Diamond Dallas Page, you know, does a lot of rehabilitation of wrestlers that he's current that he was in an organization with um uh, but he won't do it for somebody that he wasn't in the same um promotion with at the, you know at different times or whatever so uh that there is no really good safety net for managers any talent really uh in pro 
professional wrestling. Yeah, I think it's just, again, it's very individualistic. Like, that's that's why they need a union, because it's very, like, based on the individual and, like, it's, like, based on the good heart of, like, like a DDP, like, wanting to, like, support wrestling. Not for the Tammy situation, I don't know if it, that maybe we're reading too much. Maybe she just doesn't reach out. Like, when people offer to help her, she's in a state where she just doesn't want help or something. It's, like, a situation like that, like that, or, like, so I've just don't want to speculate on like if DDP has reached out or not, but like it's a. Uh... Yeah. I didn't mean to imply that she'd probably, you know, that yeah. they haven't tried. I just, yeah, there's something going on either that she's not accepting the help or they're not reaching out or a combination of those two things. Who knows? Yeah. So. Yeah, and this just like speaks to like a, a fundamental difference, I think, in the comparison with the um, like Major League Baseball and wrestling is that though contract, oh, I guess that's the thing is like the the wrestlers are contracted and treated as independent contractors because legally they are. So like what Maria was saying earlier, like these big salaries for guys at the top, and often. You know even making like over six figures they're still paying for like travel and hotel like the uh, vince and wwe don't pay for i don't think they pay for any of that stuff and like they they sorry what was that sorry that was just the worst worst job ever it doesn't even pay your per diem yeah it's totally messed up like and when they went over on their they basically ariadne like uh and for anyone who doesn't know like took their whole video library and put it like on a streaming service but they started offering all their monthly pay-per-view shows that would literally go through like pay-per-view service um was just part of the subscription model so everybody's pay-per-view bonus like they would their houses would be bigger and like Vince would just assume you know the pay-per-view buys would bring in even more revenue so everyone would get a little bump and it was just like you know I don't know if, if it was in the contract or whatever but everyone knew like especially for like a Wrestlemania level show they'd be getting you know anywhere from thousands to tens of thousands of dollars of in, in one night and by going over to that subscription model all the shows are cheaper, but now these wrestlers don't really get these bonuses as far as I know. Um, it just feels like that model where like they can afford to drive the cost down so cheap for their product. And then, you know, like a, an Amazon or something. So no one can compete with it. But anyway, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, to get back to baseball, it really reminds me of my Pittsburgh Pirates where it's owned by a man who will like cheap out as much as possible like cut as many corners and get as much revenue and he's not punished for this like <laughs> i wish baseball did have like a relegation thing where teams are actively punished for like owners just not bringing a, like a decent product not and not just like from in terms of, like standing just like being shitty to their employees and baseball players like it's just actively like frustrating to see like place of places wrestlers I like in WWE. I just don't watch it because the product's so unwatchable. 
and knowing they make record profits year after year and they still cut people saying, oh, we need budget cuts. And like, you're making so many goddamn billions of dollars from doing shows in Saudi Arabia. And you're just like, can you keep saying, oh, we're having record profits as stockholders. It's, it's capitalism. <laughs> Does baseball do like novelty shows like that in other countries? Uh, so the, the MLB will do exhibition matches in other countries. <clears throat> um, the ones I'm most familiar with are the ones in Japan. Uh, like usually, uh, you know, like uh, a team will go play in Japan for like a few days, often bef right, right before opening day. It'll happen as part of like spring training maybe. Um, I don't think that that happened this year. Um, I've never seen like a, I've never heard about it, not saying it hasn't happened because you know, like it's not like Rob Manfred is like a good guy. He's a horrible bastard. <laughs> um, so he would totally take Saudi oil money to put on like a, you know, like nationals versus, uh, you know, fucking Mariners game in Riyadh. Like he would totally do that. Like. Like we could, we could still see as long as he's commissioner, we could see the Yankees play uh, play the Rays in Dubai. Like that is a possibility. Um, but like F one is, you know, like doing that. You know, like all the major sports are like, give us that oil money. We want, we want those oil billions. Break us off a piece. I think it's because baseball just doesn't have any popularity in the Middle East for most. That's that's the only thing preventing them is like it's baseball like I do remember the Pirates yeah, did play in Puerto Rico one time because they did like expedition against it was I forget what they did they have done like a like a, I think it was against the uh Nationals or Expos they did an expedition in uh Puerto Rico. But I think there wasn't there like a there was like a actual World Series, like they did like something where they actually had like a bunch of teams around the world play against each other. Try remember that. There is a there there is like an actual World Series of baseball. The U.S. like never almost never wins. Cowards. <laughs> yeah, it's almost always like a, it's almost always like a, a, a Latin American team that wins. Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we could, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about how, like, you know, baseball is like a colonial export at the <laughs> same time. It's got a connection to imperialism. It's really popular in Japan, South Korea, Latin America. Places where U.S. soldiers happen to be stationed for a long, long time. So give it 20 more years and it'll be popular in Dubai. Yeah. I think this is kind of threads and with some of like what we we're talking about the last episode too um possibly i'm not sure we'll see we'll see if this goes anywhere <laughs> um, you know thinking about a lot of the characters and how um in wrestling um and how they've taken on different uh ethnicities to appeal to different uh markets and stuff like that um i don't know does somebody have an idea there we can abandon this thought Yeah, you know something too. You remind me of um, Ariane. Uh, shoot, am I really gonna forget it now? Oh no! Um, when when you're talking about the countries where we do see where baseball is like developed or become kind of like 
an informal like international farm system um wwe did did has been kind of trying attempting to do that by killing off um independent scenes i think most notably in um in england or the uk they they really like butchered up and like signed away a bunch of the young like really good talent and then like started up their own show the nxt uk and just kind of like doomed people to be wrestling in front of like pretty small crowds and like lose kind of a, a little bit of the groundswell i think it's kind of recovering but they also attempted to do it um do it in japan but they never started a show but they started kind of buying some of the more notable um free agents from japan that they could get their hands on but yeah it just kind of reminded me of that I, I think that, I mean, that's that's fascinating. I don't really know a lot of that that particular history, but what I recognize in it is the business model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you, you find a competitor um, and you buy them up, um, not because you want to like deliver their product better or add it to your portfolio of products. No, you want to like strip it for parts and drive it into the ground. You know, it's real capture and kill strategy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the wrestling monopoly. And like the, this was, you know, something you had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, like about how everybody's an independent contractor and, you know, they're like totally responsible for like every expense that they have, um, you know, and, and, you know, liability free, of course, for, for the, for the, you know, for the company. Um, it's, it's like, you know, like wrestling is like the gig economy first, you know, they're like, we were pioneering this, this model of like how we're going to make workers relate to this thing that even though it's a collection of people who are putting on a, a theatrical production together, a very physical theatrical production together. Um, and the show like can't exist without all of them. It literally isn't a thing. They're, they're not employees. We're not their bosses who like write scripts for them to follow um you know like we're not renting the hall and filling it with cameras um you know like like they're all independent contractors you know like we have nothing to do with it i mean it's you know incredible i always find the really messed up thing about the whole independent contractor thing especially with wwe AEW is much better with it because independent contractors can actually take independent bookings Whereas WWE, they tell they like use the benefit of like the independent contractor in the sense that they can like prevent wrestlers from taking independent book. It's like legally, like they just keep avoiding it. And I think I always think it's just because the states don't care, like the federal government doesn't care. Which surprise, surprise on that. But like, I yeah, it's that's the messed up thing. But like thinking about uh like developmentals, like I know like. And going back to like the colonialism, like I know, like in uh, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Ten Thousand Losses, and they brought this up with baseball uh, about uh, like the Dominican Republic, like the farm system down there, where they like mm-hmm. have like these academies and stuff. And it's very brutal, and I know like uh, David Ortiz has spoken up against it because it's just like, yeah, it's very brutal and like just training people, like just. Coming like a factory, like very like 
it's it's like a colonial project of like just pumping out stuff and the least to say about like how prep, uh, baseball players got off Cuba and stuff or Venezuela like I know that like, there's always like shady things with that like game players out yeah um actually I've done a lot of thinking about this about how American sports in general rely on endemic poverty to produce a, a constant feed of athletes in all the different sports football baseball uh, professional wrestling. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched that uh, reality show on Netflix that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, but they, they're always talking about their, the hard poverty that they come from a lot of the, a lot of the people on those shows. Um, and like Zach was saying, uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, people, I think uh, the sports leagues and managers and all that just take advantage of the fact that people are desperate to escape the life of poverty. So, uh, it's not hard knocks. It's something else. It's on Netflix, but anyway, yeah. I've just been watching old enough on Netflix, which I don't think is what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Last chance you, that's the name. It's junior college stuff. Uh, like junior college, like football. Yeah, junior college football and basketball now. Okay. Yeah, we see that happening a lot with wrestling too. Like I feel like a lot of um, people who've come up start just were just like literally wrestling in their backyards and stuff like that, and this got you know moving through local promotions and stuff like that and working their way up out and out of whatever sort of rural town they were in. Yeah, and like a lot of independence, like especially back in like the late nineties or mid two thousands, like it's I feel like it inoculates you to like have this grind mindset where you as a wrestler go to these places and the promoters like give you a handshake and two hot dogs, that's your reward. <laughs> like and your whole gr- you have to like grind out making merch for yourself. Like the reason like yo an independent show that wrestlers aren't getting paid that much. The reason why they are really friendly to you at like the tape merch table where you're getting signatures is like getting autographs and stuff is like that's where they make their bread and butter that's why they're coming to your town to do a show i think it's gotten a little bit better like i hear less and less like there's always gonna be scuzzy there's always gonna be scuzzy independence but there's always there's been more up and up independence they're treating their treating the talent i won't call them like contractors or like sometimes like especially independence it's more like the talent they're inviting uh yeah i think I hope for just like a little bit of improvement, but goddamn, they need a union. <laughs> you know, it's more akin, like the way you're describing it, it's sort of more akin to like, you know, like bands going on tour, right? You know, and it's like, how are we getting in the next town? Well, we got to hope that like 20 people buy our CD because that's going to pay for our gas. Um, you know, and there's like a romance, there's a romanticism to that, but also like that, you know, that can suck a lot too. Um, you know, and like, I mean, just to bring it, bring it back to, you know, baseball for a second, um, you know, like there were, you know, like there was, you know, uh, there was a, like a sort of series of like labor actions by minor league baseball players last year, you know, like they were, you know, like almost not going to play and then they were given like really like terrible food and they did some collective action, you know, like they're, they've got it rough, 
um, but they are considered like professional players and they're like, you know, being given this opportunity, right? Like you were saying, like, uh, there's enough of them that despite them all being like the elite of the elite, there's still a lot of them. There's other people who can take their spots. So they have to have this really grind sort of desperation mindset, you know, like they're not as strong, right. As the people who reach the show, you know, the most like organized players. Um, with like much higher minimum salaries but like there's there's you know they they've still benefited right like from from their being uh you know a unionized system right like there's an organized farm system that keeps track of them and you know like uh you know they're they're like part they're assigned to a team's system so they at least you know like have that job you know um and like have a pathway forward depending on their athleticism. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about with some of what you said, especially at the beginning there, Ariadne, was um, my regular job is in music. And I was thinking about, that's been a big story recently in our world too. Um, just like where, where musicians can actually make money um, and a lot of bands have been posting stuff about how much they've lost money on recent tours, as well as like venues starting to take cuts specifically out of even the merch, not just like the ticket sales now. So people were losing like 20% on even like CDs to the venue that they were playing at. Um, and so again, it's sort of this industry where you're supposed to consider it like almost like a privilege to even get to exist in almost and everything gets taken a cut out of and it, it makes it impossible to keep going because you don't have any like base to like fall back on because everything's independently done yeah and while they're coming up like this a lot of times at least in wrestling the the thing that's being wagered too is like the health like the literal bodies of the performers so in order to get noticed like it's kind of like benefits people who can be a bit flashy or like do like very acrobatic stuff sometimes very technical or like on the flip side being able to take really cool moves from other people so you're always going to be associated with these memorable wrestling spots but that's I mean that's really tough as a fan because obviously those are like really remarkable things to cheer for but it's also we're just kind of like leading them into the fire in a, a bit because these are the things that lay the groundwork for all the injuries that pile up later on. I mean, while none of these performers, except for like Roman Reigns or John Cena or The Rock or something like, they're not going to have like healthcare later on to take care of this shit. But that's also like hustling like your your talent and your merch, but also like your literal body ends up happening. Which is probably similar in baseball, I guess. Yeah, it was interesting. I think I saw another wrestler posting about, um, you know, like thinking about pro wrestling tees and merch sales and stuff and how most wrestlers should go independent and sell their own, own merch basically, except if you're somebody like Dan Housen and I love Dan Housen, but like thinking about like how my, I love that Dan Housen. Mm. Uh, but thinking about how much work he has to do, even if not in the ring, but like making new videos almost every day to try to sell this character, basically. 
the amount of burnout that that I can only imagine that that is kind of work can like lead to in order to make sure he's selling enough. Um, it's either a physical loss or a mental exhaustion. CB. Yeah, just picking up on that thread, and kudos to Dan Housen for trademarking his, uh, or being the first wrestler to trademark his face paint uh, ever. Um, uh, I used to be a streamer for about six months before I got my first job back in 2016. Uh, and just doing the three days of streaming of maybe four hours of streaming was so wearing on me. I couldn't imagine having to produce... Uh, a vlog every day um, to help make ends meet or try and get over with the crowd. And, uh, um, I, I'm just, I want to say that I'm impressed, but I don't want to, like, I don't want to put uh, too much of, like, a spotlight on that kind of thing. Because uh, yeah. I think that's really unhealthy, kind of. Uh, because then fans come to expect that every wrestler is able to do that. Um, and yeah, like you're saying, it's just going to lead to burnout and, uh, you know, antagonism towards fans, I think, anyway. I was hoping Dan, like, especially Danhausen, like, I love that guy, love that Danhausen, but like, it just worries me a little bit, like, he'll eventually just like, he, I hope he does become one of those people that gets really bitter about having to live that bit the rest of life. I mean, it seems like he's like, got comfortable, like, life and enjoys what he does, but I just... That's why I hope, like, some wrestlers, like, they just, that, like, they do, like, a character and that just sticks with them forever and they just become, it's like a one-hit wonder type person, like, who, uh, like, Flock of Skulls guy really didn't like that, uh, what's that one song that, that, the one song, one Flock of Seagulls song that, like, everyone knows, but I can't remember it right now, unfortunately. Wishing? No, it's not Wishing, it's I Ran no, it's So like Far the, Away. Yeah, it's the very, it's a very one-hit wonder. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I am not familiar with this guy, and I just looked him up, and wow, what a look. <laughs> what a look. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but just to pick up on a, a thread uh, previously, and I think Maria and DT mentioned this, um, but the lack of healthcare during being a wrestler and afterwards is probably why a lot of the people uh, get addicted to painkillers uh, or turn to alcohol. Um, you know, and it just becomes a the combination of being a wrestler, being on the road, and not having healthcare lead to that end. You know, and it's happened to a lot of them. Um, and t I want to say that there is no problem with using drugs under capitalism. If you have to do that to survive, then do what you got to do. I'm just saying that, like, it's obviously a problem and endemic to wrestling in general. Um, that because they lack a support system or you know they're isolated or whatever mm -hmm. song was iran by the way i mean i'll i'll officially i'll officially endorse drugs on behalf of your podcast um Thank you. uh, oh. and my, my my right is a guest <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely i mean i think like everyone oh, sorry dk no, I think three of us went at the same time. Uh, I I was just gonna say. I mean, I think like so many so many people in, I mean, in the United States, at least, are like in a very similar bind to this. It's like, what you know, like uh, how do I get healthcare, which is only 
which continues to get more expensive while my like while the money that I get paid for the work that I do is low. Oh yeah, my job is also like really physical in this particular way and I might get injured and if I get injured, I'm shit out of luck. Um and this is like the common experience of like you know hundreds of millions of people you know tens and tens of millions in America 100 million 200 million people in America you know this is like their daily experience um and you know god forbid like what are you going to do when you retire <laughs> who knows i should sure go <laughs> will we even reach retirement or will the planet die <laughs> maybe i should become maybe i should become a wrestler it's more dangerous <laughs> yeah i mean why not? That, like die with a little glory you know it's like the movie the wrestler Yeah, that was a really happy ending. <laughs> I remember that movie. It was very uplifting. Isn't he doing like a cross body block and it ends? Something it's like heroic. that. Oh, it sorry, like spoiler. Oh yeah, yeah. from <laughs> that movie that came like 2009 or something. That is where one place where wrestling and uh, and baseball diverge. I feel like all baseball movies are are uplifting, like mandated, um, and wrestling. and other uh, fighting sport movies are always depressing. <laughs> that might that might be true. I'm trying to think of like really I mean like some of the baseball movies are really sad because it you know they're like about they're they're on the same thing theme of like somebody who's at the end of their career like trying for one last thing. <laughs> um but they they do tend to have like their heroes have victories at the end usually of some kind. you know like they win their own thing uh yeah just picking up on that thread um that is going to be uh, major league 1 i believe with the uh now cleveland guardians previously cleveland indians uh where the the hero of the movie is this older catcher i believe am i wrong tq maybe you can help me out here um Tom Berenger, right yeah Uh and he, he he's last to bat. Um and he, apparently he his knees are bad and everything and but yeah. you know at the end of the game the game's on the line and he hits a home run or something or a triple and decides to run it all the way in and just barely makes it. <laughs> am I am I remembering it right? I hope so. so. It's been a long time. Yeah, that sounds right. I was going to say here here was my brilliant comment. I was going to say that um rookie was it rookie of the year was the most like WWE baseball movie. It's like the gimmick is like this kid gets like um the Angels. Oh no, that's Angels in the Outfield. That's Angels in the Outfield. So yeah, like rookie of the year is the one where he like plays for the Cubs and yeah. his arm gets like weird and all of a sudden he can throw 90 some miles an hour. But those those are like the WWE, I guess since they get closer to Disney or are actually Disney. Or like you just get some ridiculous gimmick that no one's ever, like no one really believes. Yeah, rookie of the year ends with like he gets like really tight like muscle tend of his arm and just like has a rocket and then he loses it and then he has to beat like a three sugglers. He has to do they do all sorts of hijinks and he has to use like a very uses like that weird pitch that's like a Gephis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gephis pitch. Yeah. Gephis pitch is great. Yeah. Uh, While we're talking about tight muscles. Oh, sorry. Do you want to 
Bad News Bears. There's another one. Yeah. At least the original. I don't know. They remade it at some point, but I didn't see that. Yeah, just to bring it up again, because of tight muscles, let's talk about some tight muscles. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's muscles, talk about tonight's AW. Yeah. Uh, how is everyone feeling about the whole show? Um, I'll just start there. I I mean I I felt once again that we had the I felt once again that we had like the strong start and the strong end, and like the middle was a little like yeah, some stuff happened. <laughs> What about the rest of you? I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, go ahead, CP. Oh, no, I was just going to echo Maria. Uh, the, the first match, the Battle of the Atoms part 3000 or whatever it is on now, was really great to watch. Uh, I know that uh, Ariane was busy thirsting the entire time. Oh, no, no, okay. I'm mistaken. I apologize. Uh, maybe it was just me. Um, anyway. I just want them to kiss a little. Just a little? <laughs> that, no, that, it would be amazing. I mean, I'm not thirsting for either of them. No, what I'm, what I'm seeing is, is the erotic tension between the atoms. Like, they, mm. like, when their faces were so close together, like, I was for a moment convinced that they were going to kiss. Even when they, when they touched foreheads, their bodies make a little heart. I mean, like, there is so much, there is so much, uh, uh, you know, like, like real genuine, like homoerotic, uh, feeling going on, especially with damage. I mean, I think there were in other places tonight too, but like, Ooh, it was, it was, it was sizzling. Jade Cargill's kiss of death is a less, uh, less, uh, implied homoeroticism and just going right in for it. Uh, uh I highly, I highly fun. recommend that. Um, I need to see that. Yeah, I mean, that that's interesting because that was like one of the first things you had said you had picked up Ariadne watching this show for the first time. And it's true. And that that uh, I I felt tonight that feud like kicked up, <laughs> kicked up a notch, too, which I mean, probably tells you just how like fundamental or whatever, like just like basic urges are when they're kind of like poked or played with a little bit but they yeah I, they, it just it's another feud where like the match is going to be good when they ha I think at battle of the belts they set but just tonight I was kind of like oh shit alright they kind of turned it up a notch but agree whenever like two wrestlers get like within centimeters of each other it's just like alright you guys can't help it anymore. Yeah, like I felt like it did cut, kick up a notch because it felt like it felt like at Hangman really felt like there was like criticism back in like the uh, Lance Archer feud where like he had that promo where Jake Roberts came out and just like Adam was very like doing his like very like what's it anxiety cowboy gimmick and like and Jake snake the jake roberts was like shut up boy and he just immediately shut up and this felt like he was really asserting himself mm -hmm. not taking any bullshit and like just getting in the face of adam cole who like there's kind of like almost like an anime like anime rival like <laughs> racism where just like these guys knew each other from like when they were in roh like they were bunk mates like they were like they've gone on the road together 
they went to New Japan, stuff like that. Like, they had, like, history with each other. And this is, like, very much Hangman's trying to get out of the shadow of, like, Adam Cole. Even though, like, Hangman's a popular guy, but, like, Adam Cole, like, has a lot of popularity, too. And it's... It came off of the heels of a good match. I was just, like, I should bring up, like, the first match was really good. With, uh, it was nice seeing Christian Cage do, like... It was nice to see, like, a match where it's not just, like naturally the story it's not just the people who are rivally fighting each other it's actually like a different matchup like showcasing other talent especially veterans who are just like there to make the other guy look good and uh does build off later because christian does get mad at uh later on the show but yeah like my thought on the show i think it was like i think like the first half hour that match was long was like really good they had dips in quality. There was like some little, there were periods where it was like peaking up a little bit more. Like, but it didn't reach the highs of like the first and second last match. There were just like these peaks, and it's, it's at the end of the day, it's okay. It's like good, like it's like it's not a WWE show where I'm just like miserable and giving a headache looking at all these cuts. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the stuff in the middle wasn't even necessarily bad it was just uh didn't necessarily feel like it was moving us forward or moving us towards anything it was just like they kind of happened rather than it being like notably like unwatchable or something like that um yeah dq yeah the things the things in the middle that kind of got me i don't know i think this these were considered in the middle i really enjoyed like the mid card female division I mean, I like the actually. I like the whole thing right now. But, Same. But especially um, the Hikaru Shida and Serena Deeb feud. I don't know if I'm just in my own head on this, but it feels like something where both are being elevated. There's like a nice, like long rival that doesn't rivalry that doesn't feel like it's passed up. Like I'm, I'm like it kind of excited about um, the animosity that's still there with them and it's kind of lived on a little longer than like the Brit Thunder rivalry which was surprising but I think speaks to how well these two are playing into it and having Sheeta off for like a, I feel like a couple months might have helped it too because like we're talking about wrestlers should probably have time off to heal and rest and when it does happen that way, you know, they're usually forced to take care of an injury. But when they do come back, we have all this pent up excitement when they return. And the other, and just in the same theme, I think we're all kind of like t Team Jade Cargill now. And um, they're doing a good job with bringing Marina, who's another person I felt that NXT or WWE might not have seen you know known what to do with but i feel like they've already done a really cool job introducing her we haven't even really seen her on the big show of, of AEW yet um but yeah they've got those two programs um going especially that long-term one i was i thought that those were two cool things that got uh, brought along nicely on the show yeah jade 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 Cargo is very cool. I I, I want to be a bad bitch. <laughs> She's awesome. Um, yeah, like definitely definitely the section I'd want to sit in. Uh, political education or no? Uh, mandatory newspaper selling. 
Um, and Ariadne are going to apply for the baddie section for the LA show, so <laughs> see you there. <laughs> yeah. Just one thing I wanted to point out. Uh, I think it was a couple Dynamites ago, or maybe a Rampage. Uh, Jade was very specific on the fact that she wanted strippers uh, in the baddie section. Uh, and I thought that was really cool to see a wrestler uh, actually supporting sex workers. I, I don't know if it was just a gimmick or part of the whole uh, promo. Um, I don't know if any of the baddies have actually been strippers, uh, but nonetheless, I am very for wrestlers supporting sex workers vocally. Yeah, I thought it was cool too. Um, I know Nyla's, I was informed earlier today that Nyla Rose's post about starting an OnlyFans was actually an April Fool's joke and I got got, uh, but her partner does have an actual OnlyFans and so, and she's been promoting that. And I, I think that's been cool to see too, um, just people moving forward like that. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm thinking of other things on the show that, like, I was really happy to see the Samoa Joe, uh, Max Caster. I think Max's raps have gone really. I used to be really cringy with them because, like, it used to be like just pretty low brow. But it looks like there's more create. There's been a lot more creativity the past few ones he's done. It's like he, it's fun that he's the claim to be kind of kind of like the new aged outlaws where they have like the sing along like thing where the crowd's into it and uh it was nice seeing joe because i was worried at supercard of honor when he debuted he looked a little abstract. like he looked a little like not the best like how like he just looked very lumbering but this match show he still had it and it was nice to see him just squash it was nice seeing someone like squash somebody like i think sometimes AEW like they go 50 50 too much sometimes like they keep trying to protect everybody so like there's no like actually like a squash match where a guy just gets beat like Joe like was like it was like an 80-10 like split in between of offense. And it was just nice. It was nice to see the muscle buster again because I know it's been a long time since he's used that move to finish a match. But um, yeah, yeah, you really pulled him. You really like pulled him over. Like it was it's like no contest. Yeah, the get hit. <laughs> yeah, right. But he was. Yeah, he was. He was. He was doing great. Like shit talking. Had awesome, uh, like, awesome uh, bright pink uh, tights. They looked like pajamas, but <laughs> I, yeah, those were those were good. I appreciated that. Um, I mean, I I do appreciate everybody's aesthetics in these things, and maybe we can talk about that in in like a little <laughs> while or something. Um, I think things that like sort of in the middle, right, that like stood out to me, you know, that were like highlights for me. Um, one, the guy who uh, disrespects the troops, very here for it. Um, like his apparently his whole thing is disrespecting the troops, uh, and you know I think that that is good. And the guy who is the troops also doesn't like cops apparently, or at least when they're in his way, which is more typical. This is MJF, right? Because he he said he didn't care that um, the captain. Yeah, he was like, Captain Captain Sean, fuck you. Like, I don't give a shit about your, you know, your, 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 your service in the, in the Illinois National Guard. I mean, I don't, you know, I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, you know, more, more wrestlers who hate the troops, I think, 2023. You know, like, let's get this movement started. Let's get this hashtag going. Um... And then, 
you know, uh, I think like the other thing that really stood out to me again, coming back to the tights is there was a promo in between, right? Like where one guy is like, oh, you're betraying us. See, I'm sorry. I don't know any of these people's names yet, you know? Um, and he's like, you're betraying us. I, you live on my couch. I bought you your first pair of tights. Like, this is very homoerotic. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you just gotta tell you all, like, it's extremely homoerotic. Like, like the, the, you're living on my couch right now. Like, I got you started in this industry. I bought you your first pair of tights. Like, that's, that's like, uh, you know, like, like one, like one trans girl to another. Like, that's like one disaster <laughs> lesbian, like, to another. Like, you know, after she's, like, just moved out to the Bay. Like, this, like, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, there's a lot of undercurrents in these things. Even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know it yet. That's what they're doing. This was Trent um, and Wheeler Yuta having a, a backstage uh, riff mm -hmm. caught on film. It's weird how the camera was there. It always is on these shows. It's lucky. Always it's really lucky. Catch these plot points that move these stories along. And sometimes, in AEW, I feel like they'll recognize it, but sometimes people don't pretend like the camera's not there and will do something in anticipation of the other wrestler, you know, falling into a trap later, like they're, they're not watching it. That's usually like WWE, though. Yeah, it's like thinking, like, it kind of did a really good. Uh... A good example of that was the uh, segment that like swerved that led to Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. Like they showed you, like the cameraman was just talking to Swerve, like through his interview, and then like they followed them, like when Hobbs and Starks were just beating the crap out of him. Then Keith Lee just fucking bowled over uh, Ricky through a wall, which was pretty cool. <laughs> I always like like goofy like physical violence like that. Like who's paying for that? <laughs> It's very like Roadrunner and Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to, I guess, finish this loop, I uh, I prefer those kinds of backstage antics versus the uh, the antics of the Sammy Guevara, uh, Tay Conti, we're fucking. <laughs> uh, so now we're all happy about it and everybody has to pay attention to it. Um, so, yeah, I'd rather see somebody get thrown through a balsa wood wall then uh then hear about them fucking with the championship belt on yeah i can't figure who who the biggest loser is uh out of the inner circle split yet i thought it was jake hager but it might be sammy guevara i feel like everyone's turning on that dude now what because what is there he's just like we had sex on the belt that you're holding um, yeah, yeah. I will say I I got this really powerful tweet that I just saw. I posted in the chat with uh, <laughs> describing uh, we were talking during the watch along about like the young bucks and what you think of. And someone that I follow on Twitter or see post about like brought up that like young bucks are righteous young stones characters while FTR or uh, Eastbound and Down. I think that was what it was. Crap. And you look at the tweet. <laughs> yeah, eastbound and down supporting characters. And it's like, I get that vibe immediately now. It's like, yeah, the Young Bucks do kind of look like Righteous Youngstones characters. <laughs> uh, um, 
Yeah, just to pick up on what DQ was saying, there's so many different ways they could have gone with the Sammy Guevara uh, plotline. Like, him and Teconti could have helped Wardlow uh, during their match uh, and tried to make put themselves over his faces. Um, it's just, for some reason, they're going with the very kind of WWE attitude era backstage stuff and I don't I don't know why yeah it just it feels really empty and it's a shame because I, I do think I mean I like Sammy's in-ring style a lot but like he lacks so much in terms of like his actual character and like ability to come up with any storyline at all um, it's completely stuck and it it's annoying to see somebody who's actually who I feel like is good athletically, but is so bad and useless otherwise right now, at least. Yeah. It's, uh... how, how much input do they even have, like, on their story? Like, that's like a thing I don't know. Like, so in AEW they have a lot more, um, which is one of the reasons that it keep they keep picking up more wrestlers. I know. Um, I saw one tweet going around because so Jeff Hardy just joined Matt Hardy in um, AEW from WWE and was like, well, who are the wrestlers or who are, who are the writers and stuff like that? And Matt was like, it's, you got to write it like uh, basically um, like there are no writers here. <laughs> okay. I think it'd be kind of a double edged sword because like some yeah. some wrestlers they probably could use some writers probably like Sammy Guevara could use like yeah like, like this thing with they, Sammy they could use a writer's room yeah like Sammy having watched his vlog which I used to watch more regular I see where like it's like these are the, this current thing is definitely a Sammy idea he has like that person like he is like that's kind of like who he is like this fuck boy basically <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, this, he's such a like there's parts of him that are likable I've seen some things of him being likable like there's like a video of him just playing around with uh, Brody Lee's uh, kids just like doing moves making them bumping for these kids and like just making them happy and it's like he's a likable person but like it's only part of him he's just like wrestling wise he just like he just has such an unlikable character <laughs> Yeah, I think Sammy is an example of it going bad and then not to be stuck on Dan House in this episode, but I think that's an example of it going good. Um, don't shake your head at me, DQ. <laughs> but I think stuff like that is like an example of where somebody's been able to like really work on and hone a character that maybe wouldn't have been given the time or enough time to develop inside of WWE um, and would not have been able to necessarily be been invented inside of a writer's room. So it works out in both directions, unfortunately, for for a lot of the wrestlers, I think. More risk, more reward. Yeah, I would agree with that. What we're saying, Tony Khan, is that you should hire us for uh, consultations, okay? <laughs> we'll need to because, like, I think he's already looking at Ring of Honor. Like, he, because we don't know where I was developing. I mean, obviously, they're pushing the Ring of Honor belts because they have ROH title match, and also a AAA title match, which I guess AAA doesn't really care how they're booked as long as they're, like, in the loop somewhat. Uh, but, like, speaking of burnout, Tony Khan, like, probably should probably lease some creative mm -hmm. control because he's very end-all, be-all, and eventually it's going to burn him out. Like, he has, like... It's nice that he's, like... He's a billionaire, so... 
maybe at all <laughs> bastards, but like at least unlike Vince likes wrestling, he's like is he a fail son really? Like I don't know if he can be considered a fail son. I assume he has like some successful businesses, that's why I mean his dad's really fucking rich. But like if he's like a wrestling fan, like he was posting on online forums back in like the two thousands. He's like a hardcore wrestling fan, so like and I think he has like good ideas. He can have better ideas. <laughs> he can book like there's a very structured thing of dynamite, and I think they are starting to break through with it. They're having more women's segments finally. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they just need more weird match. They need like to use realize the roster more. Have weird just have like one match that doesn't involve a like just have an exhibition match where it's not, it doesn't lead to a feud anymore. It's just like a cool match. Put that like in the first hour or maybe the top of the second hour, just like or rampage, which I guess that's what rampage is for, but um yeah. I'll I'll close my thoughts. I thought the main event was excellent. It's a nice it leads it's gonna lead to a really good rubber match since the uh, Bucks are one and Revival's one, so eventually they'll get to that third match. Oh no, it was. Uh, I, I take it back. What's up with you, CB? Oh no, we're just at an hour and 11 minutes, so I didn't know if we wanted to wrap up yeah. or. Um, you know, I know Zach has to do shout outs probably for the abortion fund. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, unfortunately, no one's donated. So oh, okay. if you want your shout out on the podcast, uh, donate to our abortion fund fundathon uh, page. That'll be in the show notes or we'll be in like the Twitter. It'll be everywhere. I post it everywhere, but you'll get a shout out. Um, yeah. And, like, the Patreon, we're working on some content. Like, I'm working on like reviewing like what shows I watched at WrestleMania weekend in the in the Patreon minds. Maybe soon we'll have our first uh, Austin comrade. Austin like has his like for his other podcast, his After Dark specials. But I think we can call ours Shoot just to keep the wrestling thing, keep it in wrestling terms. Like, call them Shoot interviews. Just see how we're doing. Maybe some spicy tea, I guess, if that makes sense anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if anyone else has projects to want to chill, or that's that feels a little imperfect. Like, do you have anything you want to like promote? <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that we should, uh, people should donate to the Patreon so that we can get a cameo of Daniel Bryan, uh, so that he can shoot <laughs> on the Iceman Zach. Oh, uh, <laughs> so but no, um. I'm looking forward to the return of Comrade Austin next week. Um, and just appreciate you all you guys and all our listeners. Uh, you're all wonderful. <laughs> and again, it was lovely to see the LA crew uh, a couple weekends ago. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed your Mr. Party. Uh, I don't have anything I don't have anything to plug. Um, I don't I don't host a podcast or or, <laughs> or anything like that. I do have a Twitter though, uh, and I make good posts. <laughs> Everybody agrees with me that they're good posts. Uh, it's uh, at shards ambit s h a r d s a m b i t. So follow me on Twitter. All bangers. Hundred percent. Yeah, thanks for the run in this week. Guessing on our show, 
Uh, I feel like, um, yeah, your observations were cool. I'm glad we got to explore them. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening and join your local tenants union. Talk to your neighbors, find out what the F is going on in your neighborhood and fight back. Thank you. Yeah, I'm queer wrestling anytime. <laughs> yeah. yeah.